Welcome to the Faith Assembly Podcast. Join us this Sunday at one of our four campuses. Call times are at 9 and 11 a.m. at our Somerville and Remount campuses, 10 a.m. at our North Charleston campus, and 11 a.m. at our Monk's Corner campus. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Larry Burbacher. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit faithishere.org. Welcome this morning. So good to have you here. Stand with me if you would and take your Bibles out and turn to Romans, the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. So good to have everyone here today. If you're a guest, thank you so much for coming to worship the Lord with us today. Great to have you as well this morning. Romans chapter 8. By the way, on the response, they're needing workers. So if you can help with ushering or security or some other aspect of the event, uh, you can sign up in the foyer of the church. Also, just to be sure you can get in, you need to go to theresponse.com and uh, pre-register. That way you can be guaranteed a ticket. There'll be about eleven to 13,000 people down there. We don't want you to make a trip and not be able to make it in the door. So uh, people are coming from all over the state. So I encourage you to sign up and pre-register. How many know we need prayer in America today? We, we're in a mess. And, uh, and so this is all about just praying for our land, praying for America, praying for our state. And we invite you to join with us. Romans 8 and verse number 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God, by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be sin offering, so he, and so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. Father, I pray this morning you'll open up our hearts this morning that we will receive what you have for us. Thank you for your sweet presence here today. Continue to minister through your word. Your word is truth. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Last week was a tough week. I'm going to tell you, uh, last Sunday, it's Romans chapter 7. That's the dilemma we find ourselves in. I said the, the key word there was the pronoun I, used 30 different times. The word the law is used 34 times. And as we looked at that struggle between our sinful nature and the law, we saw how sinful we are and how much we need God. And we get down to the end of that chapter, and the Apostle Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Now, the good news is chapter 8. I'm so thankful for chapter 8. It's the answer. It's the response. It's what we're, we're looking for. If, if last week is trying to live the Christian life without the Spirit of God, this week is all about how we live life in the Spirit. You know, it's not like grace comes in and saves us and sets us free and the Spirit comes into us and then we're on our own to carry out this Christian life. We live every day through the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. If we didn't have the Holy Spirit of God in us, we could not make it. It is his presence that sets us apart. It's his presence that gives us life. It's his presence that helps me every single day that I live this life. It is with the Spirit of God. And so he says, therefore, there is now... No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. 
The secret to victory, the secret to freedom, is being in Christ Jesus. Are you in him today? Do you have Christ in your heart and life? Is he in you? That's what we're going to look at this morning. And the whole, the, the, the kind of tenor is freedom. So we're going to look at freedom this morning. There's three things he gives us very quickly that talk about the freedom we have. And the first thing, of course, is free from condemnation. Verse number one, therefore, therefore, there is no condemnation. It's the turning point in the epistle. You go all the way through chapter 7, he starts out in the first three chapters by showing us how sinful we are, how far away from God, how that we're all separated from God and we all fall short of his glory, Romans 3 and 23, and then he begins to move and he talks about how we're justified by faith alone, and then he throws chapter 7 in there, and he's going to describe this ongoing life that we live and how it can often be a struggle in a battle with what I want to do and what I don't want to do and those things I get caught up in. Now he's going to transition, therefore, therefore, wake up. There's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, therefore. I, uh, Josh and Lindy, my, my daughter, Serves in Nepal with her husband, Josh. Uh, thankfully, they, they were not in the earthquake area. and They were spared from that destruction, although they did go and help with a lot of the relief efforts that were going on. But one night that we, uh, my wife, my first wife and I, Tanya, we were there. We were in bed, middle of the night, like 3 o'clock in the morning. And you don't, I don't, I'm hard to wake up. Don't know what's going on. But the phone rings. And when the phone rings in the middle of the night, your first thought is this can't be good, right? And, and you become alarmed a little bit. And, and my wife answered the phone. Of course, she had been restless all night long. She couldn't sleep, and she was, she was praying hard for Josh and Lindy. She didn't know what it was. And this phone call comes in the middle of the night, and immediately the first words that Josh spoke on the phone was, Tanya, Lindy's going to be all right. Tanya, Lindy's going to be all right. And when, when you hear that kind of a phrase, immediately your worst fears, your very worst fears are put to rest. And so it's kind of like, I'm going to tell you the rest of the story now, but I want to start out by saying she's going to be all right. How many of you have ever got a call from your teenage son or daughter or somebody or a police officer or whatever the story is or someone comes, and the first words they say is, you know what, it's going to be all right. It just so happened that that night they were driving in the, through the villages to Nepal, and uh, the driver of the car, one of the other missionaries, there was a wagon. They would park their wagons right on the road. There's no off place to get off the road and what little road there is and so they have wagons along there and he ran into the back of the wagon he didn't see it he came up on it around a bend and there was a rod that went through that window and Lindy had been asleep and it went right there through her mouth and so Lindy has a scar right there today if it had been higher it would have killed her instantly and she bled profusely they took her to a clinic in uh, out in the villages where she was but it was so unsanitary they just uh, hired a taxi driver who took a, uh, a one of these medical vehicles and they went all the way to Kathmandu, drove about eight hours. They did surgery, sewed it all up and she is fine. But those first words were, Tanya Lindy's going to be all right. 
And that's kind of what the Apostle Paul does here. He starts out with this, with this, this story about the struggle that all of us at some time or another experience in our life, but then he puts everything to rest. He, he calms our fears, and the Apostle Paul says, you know what, it's going to be okay. There's no condemnation. As long as you are in Christ Jesus, as long as where you're supposed to be, uh, you're going to be okay because you're no longer condemned because Christ Jesus has died for you. He's taken every single sin away, and you are now in Christ Jesus. It's going to be okay. And that's kind of how he starts the whole transition out. Verse number two, he says that you have been set free from the law of sin and death. You're no longer slaves to sin. You're no longer slaves to death. Uh, You no longer have any term of punishment or servitude to fulfill. It's all been done. It's all been taken care of. You're now free from all that. Free from condemnation. Condemnation's like that low, lying, dark cloud that hangs over every single person without God. If they don't know Jesus Christ, they are under this black, dark cloud of condemnation that hangs over them and holds them like a slave and pronounces them guilty. But Paul says something happens. The the law of the Spirit comes in. And it's like that breath of fresh air, and it blows away that black cloud of condemnation. It's got to go. Because the law of the Spirit has made me free from the law of sin and death. And it blows that black cloud away, and it frees us from a lifetime of brutal tyranny that we have been held under until we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're set free from condemnation and servitude to sin and death, it implies you're free to serve someone else or something else. And so we see that in the very next phrase. He says in verse 4, now you're free to live according to the Spirit. Now you don't have to give in to every sinful urge, every sinful desire, every fleshly desire that comes your way. Now you are free to live according to the Holy Spirit. Which leads me to my next point. It's simply this. Not only is we are free from past condemnation, but now I am free from the control of sin in my life. Sin no longer controls me because I'm in Christ. Look at verse number 7. Let's jump down there if you would. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. Now, in Romans 7, he kind of brings out very clearly these two natures, the flesh and the spirit. And as he describes it, he says these two natures are always warring with each other. And so when he talks about the flesh, it's that old sinful nature. The spirit is the gift of God's presence inside of me. It's his Holy Spirit living in me and through me. And there's this battle going on. Now, the old nature, I want to tell you, it never gives up. It's going to keep attacking. It never backs off. Never concedes concedes defeat, even though it is defeated. But we have the confident assurance that the Holy Spirit is stronger. The spiritual nature, the Holy Spirit, even though the flesh is there, is much, much stronger than that fleshly nature. 
So then the question is, who are you yielding to? He goes on to say, if you will yield yourself to the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to walk out of that freedom. Who do you yield your control to? Let's pick it up with verse number five. Those who live according to the sinful nature, if you yield your members to that old fleshly nature, have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live according with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. We know the Spirit is stronger. Who are we submitting to? Who are we yielding our members to? The mind of the sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful mind is hostile to God, does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. And so he's asking the question, who do you yield yourself to? The old sinful nature or the Spirit of God? Now Paul's self-portrait that he shared in chapter 7 describes that in painful detail what existing living according to the flesh looks like. And it's not a pretty picture. And if we try to live according to the flesh, we cry out like the Apostle Paul, oh, wretched man that I am. It's no good. It involves, living according to the flesh involves a headlong pursuit of sin. And he says in verse 7, this kind of lifestyle is hostile with God. You are at war with God if you follow every dictate of your fleshly desire. Now, we, I think, the more common and subtle temptation we have is to try to live to please God in the strength of my own flesh. It may not be outright sin and rebellion and defiance, but what I'm simply trying to do is please God in my own fleshly effort, in my own righteousness. And so to become righteous, what I try to do is try harder. And if I just try harder, the problem is, he says, living according to the flesh, in verse 8, he says, you cannot please God. Whether you're trying to do good or not trying to do evil, any way you cut it, you can't please God by living according to the flesh. It's like trying to get to heaven by jumping. Wait, wait, God's holy. God's perfect. Way, way up there. And so if I say, I'm going to get up to heaven, I want to get to God, I jump. I don't get very high. Gravity keeps pulling me down. It's like trying to get to heaven in your own strength by jumping. It doesn't matter how high you jump, he says in Romans 3, you will always fall short. The old nature says, God helps those who help themselves. And so I'm going to help myself by jumping. And if I jump high enough, I'm going to please God. And so we jump and we jump and we jump and we only get frustrated and wore out and we don't have that peace of God. Grace says a person is justified apart from the law. You can't keep the law in your own strength in your attempt to please God because you will always fall short. Fleshly thinking can have noble ideals and admirable desires. However, it is proud to the bone. It says, I can do this by myself. And it leads to pride. And pride is our downfall. It presumes to achieve godly objectives without God. I want to keep the law. I want to be good. I want to do all these certain things. I want to set up my regiment. 
It rejects God's grace in favor of my own will, in my own way, and in my own ability. It judges others who don't jump as high as I do. So I'm jumping this high, and I look around the church, and I see somebody else, and they're not jumping as high as I am. And so I think, you know what? I'm pretty good at doing this stuff. We all fall short. You're never going to get there in your own strength. Rugged individualism, that can-do spirit, may work in business, but it is death to the spiritual life. It will leave you wretched. And finally, you come to the end of yourself, and you've jumped, and you've jumped, and you've jumped, uh, and you've tried to do good, and you failed, and you tried not to do bad things, uh, and you failed some more, and, and, and it just leaves you wretched. Oh, wretched man that I am. The flesh is hostile to God before salvation, and it's foolish to think the flesh will begin to cooperate with me now. Now I'm saved, and now I try to work it all out and keep the law in my own strength. Galatians 3.3, are you so foolish after beginning with the Spirit? Are you now trying to attain, attain your goal by human efforts? The flesh cannot change. It can only be left behind. I want you to look down to verse number 11. And if the spirit of of him who raised Christ from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Living the Christian life is living the life through the spirit. Walking in the spirit, breathing in the spirit, living in the spirit, It's living the Spirit of God in us, through us. He says, if that same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, it will quicken you, your mortal bodies. This is a glove right here. Got a glove. And uh, I use it when I kayak. It can be a dive glove. It can be a workout glove, any kind of glove you want. Thunder wear. (laughs) That's what it says on the glove. And uh, so if I take this glove... This glove in itself is lifeless, has no power, no strength, no ability. This glove can do absolutely nothing. But when I take my hand and I put it inside the glove, and if the glove doesn't fit, you must acquit. (laughs) If I take this glove, my hand, and I put it inside the glove, making sure every finger gets inside the glove, all of a sudden this becomes a very valuable tool in the hand of the person. The hand has got to be inside the glove. We've got to make sure every finger is filled. Uh, There is no more room left in the hand, uh, in the glove for anything else but my hand and every single finger. Now listen to verse 12. Therefore, brothers... We have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit, the hand in the glove, you will put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now the problem today is simply this. How many believers today are not putting to death the misdeeds of the body? Are not allowing themselves to be controlled by the Spirit of God. 
He says, now that you're in Christ, you have an obligation. What does that mean? How does that look? What's he saying there in verse 12? Well, let me see if I can illustrate it for you this way. If you take your kids to McDonald's or Burger King, and when the kids were small, I like to find the restaurants that uh, have playgrounds in it. And I could order my food and just let them run wild, okay? But if you took your children to a nice restaurant, what would you say to them? Mind your manners, right? Be on your best behavior. This is a classy place. Everybody's looking. Everybody's watching. Don't make me look like a bad parent. Don't make me beat you. Just mind your manners. Behave. Watch how you eat. Don't be a slob. You know, don't get loud. And we're warning our kids the whole time they're in there, mind their manners. Listen, we have been adopted into the family of God, and when he did that, he brought us into his table. So what he's saying is now that we are a member of the family of God, now that I dine at the table of the Lord, I have an obligation to live not according to my old slobberly ways, uh, my old unmannered ways, uh, my old sinful ways that were identified by the flesh, uh, now have been brought into the table of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. uh, So what do I do? I mind my manners. So Paul says in verse number 11, or verse 12, therefore we have an obligation not to do what's sinful, not to live like I used to. Now I have an obligation to be led and directed by the Spirit of God. And you know what happens is the closer you move into that table of fellowship, the closer you move into God, the more you become like Him. I'm in a new family. Paul says, learn how to conduct yourself in the family of God. Learn how to, uh, and the closer I get to the Lord, the more I become like him. And And there ought to be a distinction. Listen, there ought to be something different about your life than the world. So now in Christ Jesus, I have an obligation. So I'm free in Christ Jesus from that sinful nature that drove me before. And the third thing is, and I like this one, I'm free from the fear of abandonment. Abandonment. Nobody wants to be left. Nobody wants to be orphaned. Pick it up with verse number 14. And, 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 and Kyle read this scripture earlier, and it's so powerful. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you do not receive the Spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you receive the Spirit of sonship. And by him we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that now we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed, we share in his sufferings. We also may share in his glory. Now, here's the incredible thing. God purchased us with his own blood, and he paid the price to set us free from that slavery to sin and death and condemnation, right? He paid the price with his own blood. Now, because he bought us back out of slavery, he has every right to make us his slave. But what does he do? He buys us out of our slavery to sin, but he rips up the slave papers, and he gives us new papers, adoption papers. And now I come to Christ 
as a member of his family. Uh, I come to God as a member of the family of God, not as a slave, not as a servant, although I will serve as a son in the household, uh, but I have a, a new relationship. And that new relationship now that I am adopted as sons, I can have a relationship with him and I can cry out, Abba Father, Daddy God. Hallelujah. He is not a kinder, kindler, kinder, gentler master, but he's our daddy. He's our Abba Father, and Abba meant was a, was a real close term of endearment. It was used by small children to describe their father running into their father's arms, and they would cry out, Abba Father. I have now intimacy with the creator of the universe. What an awesome thought. Our obligation is not as slaves repaying a debt, uh, but the Spirit whispering that invitation to become a contributing member of his family. The obligation is not one of the servitude. The obligation is now I'm a member of the family, and I get to serve in God's kingdom, and I get to do the chores for Daddy. Totally different relationship. Unbelievers, the Bible says in verse 15, were slaves to fear. Now, now here's the problem. When you live according to the dictates of the flesh, or you live apart from the Spirit of God, or you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you live in fear of the unknown. In their hearts, they fear death, and they fear judgment, they fear eternity, they fear punishment. All those fears are hanging over anybody who is outside of Christ Jesus. But you won't find fear talked about much on the talk shows on television. Men and women don't want to discuss their fears, but they live under that cloud of fear. So how do they cope with that fear of God? I'll tell you how this world copes with the fear of God. Uh, They do everything they can to cover it up. And they cover it up with materialism. If I have enough stuff, I don't have to think about my fear. And so life is all about getting ahead and having more. And so we drowned ourselves in more stuff, in more things, in more money, in more what we hope is going to be our security for the future, but there is still that fear. We're still slaves to fear. Or we uh, go in a whole sexual lifestyle apart from God. And so we go from relationship to relationship outside of God uh, because we are trying to escape the fear. Or we turn to substance abuse, and if I can have enough alcohol, if I can go to enough parties, if I can have enough drugs, if I can do enough weed, if I can do enough stuff, then somehow I will cover up that fear. Or it leads to depression, and so we got men and women in society who are deeply depressed and discouraged about life because there's this overhanging fear in their lives. And the Bible says all our lives we were slaves to fear, but Christ came along and through him he broke that power in our life. And now I'm a part of his family. And I am so tied into the family of God, I have this new relationship with my creator. He says, You're, I call you Abba Father. I'm that close. I don't have to be afraid of anything. When children of God recognize their position in the family, instead of being afraid of life in God, their eyes are open into what God has freely given them. As adoption records in the court of law, if you went to the courts today and you adopted a child, 
I, someone uh, the other day just showed me, I just adopted this, this son here, and we're showing me their son. We're so excited, and I was excited with them, and that was a, a great thrill after all that weight and all the legal things you go through to adopt today. But they receive a stamp or a seal verifying the authenticity of the adoption papers. Now, here's what the Spirit of God has done. The believer has been given a seal of his adoption by God. And he tells us what that seal is. In 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 22, he says, The Holy Spirit has given the believer a deposit, is given to the, spirit, the believer as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. In other words, the Holy Spirit in our life is the seal of my adoption. It's the proof of my adoption. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives in me. That proves I've been adopted by him. Listen to Ephesians 1.13. Having believed, we are marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. So the Spirit himself becomes that seal in my life that I'm in God's family. And then in Romans, he says, the Spirit enables us to address God in a personal way. Abba, Father. The heart of the child is always linked to the heart of the Father in permanent intimacy. And that becomes that seal because the Spirit enables me to cry out, Abba, Father. The seal of my adoption. And now I have a brand new family. He goes on to say we are co-heirs with Christ. That means I'm going to share in all the inheritance that was going to Jesus Christ. What is that inheritance? It's the glory of God. The glory of God. Look at it in verse, the last verse uh, that I read to you. We are heirs with God, co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So I get to share in the glory that was going to Jesus Christ. That's a part of my inheritance because now I'm a co-heir with Christ. He says it very clearly also in John chapter 17. He says, I would that we would be one as, as you and they would be one as you and I are one and, and the glory that you have given me, I am also giving back unto them. We've got the glory. The glory that was due Jesus Christ. But there's also a catch and you can see it in verse 17. It says, if we share in his sufferings, we'll also share in his glory. Now, we'd like to scratch those few words out of there, right? Just cross four words out and just jump right to the glory. But if suffering was Christ's portion, then it will also be his co-heirs as well. If the son learned obedience, it says in Hebrews, through those things he suffered, so will all the adopted sons learn obedience through our sufferings. If the son grew weak under persecution, it says, yet without losing heart, so will the adopted sons. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. And so to think when you come to church and you get saved, you're not going to have any more problems. You're living in la-la land out there somewhere. If you're going to be a co-heir with Christ, you share every experience that Jesus Christ experienced. The good news is we're also a co-heir, so I will also share in all of his glory. But there are tough times in this world. 
And those who are godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Paul never shrank from his inheritance. And he encouraged the believers in Rome that when the suffering breaks out, and he writes this in A.D. 57. I'm going to talk more about this next week as we finish up because you're going to come, we're going to come to a triumphant end of this chapter. What shall separate me from the love of God? Paul has got to write them because all persecution is about to break out in the city of Rome. And he tells them, listen, nothing, 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 absolutely nothing will separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. But he's given them these words now so they can bear up under the suffering to come. And he starts hinting to that in verse number 17. And it's going to build as he makes his way till the end of the chapter. Paul takes great pains in chapter 8 to convince the believers that unbelievers, their lifestyle is characterized by those who live according to the flesh. And he says, if you're dominated by the flesh nature, then you must not know God. But those who are in Christ Jesus are led and directed and controlled by the Spirit of God. So the natural reaction is, how do I do that? How do I let the Spirit control? How how do I let the Spirit dominate? How do I let the Spirit lead my life? How do I do that? Listen, Roman contains no imperatives, no no commands, no shoulds or should nots, not even a helpful suggestion. It's frustrating because we want to do something. We want to take control. The flesh wants to go back and resort to a self-made holiness. But you won't find any of that in Romans chapter 8. He simply says, yield to the Holy Spirit that is already inside of you. Let him control, let him guide, let him dominate, let him lead your life. Existing in the Spirit is not about what we do from Him because we can't do nothing for God. Well, that's bad English. Sorry about that. We can do nothing for God. It's better. The Spirit life is about what He does on your behalf. It's about the hand inside of the glove. It's about letting Him feel every recess of your heart and your life and your being, it's yielding to his presence in you. Because the indwelling of God's spirit is a gift of grace. And you can't earn grace. The same spirit that redeems us from slavery to sin also rescues us from that continual oppression of sin. And if there's any lesson in Romans chapter 8, it's simply this. Quit trying so hard to be spiritual. Just stop it. And let God stop it and let Christ control, direct, and lead. Yield to that spirit that is already inside of you. Live out of that spiritual nature. You can't be spiritual. Only the spirit man can. So we yield to him. Let the spirit be spiritual. When you understand that, then you begin to understand grace and what grace is really all about. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes. We're going to pray. Band's coming back. Hallelujah. Thank you, mighty God. The law of the spirit of life has made me free from the law of sin and death. 
Who do you yield to? Who will you allow to control your life? Father, I pray right now that you'll minister your grace in this place today. I pray for those that may still be dead in trespasses and sin. They have not yielded their life to you. They have not surrendered to you, Lord Jesus. I pray this morning they will come to know you as Lord and Savior. I pray you will adopt them into your family. Make them your sons and daughters. Do your work that only you can do. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this weekly podcast. Check out faithishere.org for podcasts and videos of our previous messages.